The following is a Feltnout production. To find out more, visit feltnout.co.uk. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary friends, welcome to episode eight of Time Travel. Uh, this is the fourth and final part of a four-part special where we are talking about northeast comedy history. Uh, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Milligan. Yeah, I keep introducing you, Mike. I just realised, for new listeners, I never introduced myself. Uh, my name is Raoul Coley. Uh, if you've listened to the bonus episodes, uh, I am Gaza's psychotherapist. Uh, and this, uh, I'm here with my co-host, Mike Milligan. Uh, rhymes with Spike, I've just found out as well, who is apparently nearly a Geordie. <laughs> and we're here with the CEO... The COO, the CEO. None of, of those things, now, if anything. Uh, just some bloke. Some bloke. Most underrated woke comedian <laughs> from all of South Tyneside. Uh, it's Lee Kyle. Who's Hello, been guiding us with these very interesting factoids and tidbits and people from Northeast history who started in 1300 with or in the 1300s, should I say, uh, with was his name Thomas Fatu? Thomas Fatu. The jester yeah. uh, at the Priory in. Durham. Sacked uh, and replaced by a monkey. Sacked and replaced by a monkey. Well, actually, I was just filming a thing um, where we were doing comedians. We're all going to get replaced by AI. Mm. Not in the next year. It's crap for the minute. We tried to get it right some jokes, but in 10 years' time, we're going to be replaced by AI once it advances. So we're starting in 1300s. Uh, I think we're here now in the... We're recording this, obviously, in 2023. But we're probably, what, in the 1980s? Yeah, we're heading into the 1980s now for a small specific topic. Um, oh, 1980s. We're looking at, you know, we're... Wonderful period. You know, we have Thatcher and Reagan. And we're entering my domain Everyone's here, guys. Yep. Gary Newman dancing in bright colours. Gary Newman, actually, is more late 70s, I'd say, but... Cause I know that because our friend's electric was number one when I was born in July 1976. A famous song sampled by the Sugar Babes. More importantly, lads, we are now roughly 35 years before the release of my comedy special, Disco Twix, available on YouTube now. I felt it coming even back in the <laughs> 90s. We, need, <laughs> yeah. we, need, we needed it. You knew comedy was going to change, knew. so you better get in early We were just a warm-up for, yeah. for this comedy cracker tour <laughs> that is your act. So what we're talking about is we are talking about, again, this is a history of Northeast comedy. We're talking about not the very start of the um, alternative scene, which I'd say was people like um, Vase and Wavers or Shave, but a thing that I think was um, is very similar to what Feltnow became, just an earlier iteration. The John the Baptist to our Jesus. So Feltnow is sort of um, a comedy cooperative involving all the comics in the Northeast. And that started earlier with something called Near the Knuckle. Yes, well, I don't why I talk like that there. Um, It was a very similar, um, we've got some old time tease footage of it, but it's a similar premise to the uh, Felton Out one, is that everybody was sick of having to travel Mm. uh, to London or God knows where to try and make a name. Easier back in them days because in the eighties, seventies. I mean, for me, it's like I've heard trains ran at night. I heard you get them quite cheap for a fiver. Whereas now they're privatised and that that sort of. No, it wasn't. It wasn't the trains, I mean, I, I get you on that. It was a the fact there was no, work, there, there was not a circuit like we have now, um, and we couldn't play the working men's clubs in the early nineties. The clubs were still there. And there was a couple of like we had Frankenstein gigs where they tried to get 
I mean, I hate using the words alternative, but that was kind of the only thing that covered what we did. Uh, but people writing their own material um, and, and not doing your standard kind of flat pack jokes. We tried the working men's clubs and mainly died in our arse and were threatened with violence. And I mean, I, I would say... Didn't like, have enough... I can say it. Packy jokes, did you? Well, I can't. It was... Be, being a diplomatic, it was like they weren't tuned into what we were doing. You needed that generation to die, frankly. Yeah, yeah it, it just wasn't. And they probably were going to die quite quickly with the amount of tabs. Yeah, it was. The drunk, the amount of stodgy food there. But you'd be surprised because the workmen's clubs in the late eighties and the eighties, uh, when my uncle did them, who actually did his own stuff, was quite surreal. And but he, another story. Um, the audiences were very young as well because you could, the, the, the beer was cheap. They had like banging to use your young people's language that had banging bands on if you were a good musician you would only earn your living in the working men's clubs there was loads of work um so really if you'd wanted to make uh, i mean there's a, a lad on our circuit called rudy west who um writes his own stuff and should have really been on our circuit but rudy for a young lad of same age as me so in the late 80s uh, the circuit didn't exist so he had to go to the working men's clubs to make a um to make a living but he wrote his own stuff and it's so, one of them things where suddenly what seemed like the choice then is about to die out it was going it, it, it was it, you, you could smell death definitely yeah. um, and there were a few gigs you know but the, the thing that changed up here was when David Johns opened the hyena uh, not the hyena the pre- precursor to the hyena on Westcott Road the uh, Time Theatre Cafe you opened Chirpy Chappies and that was the, one of the first big gigs outside of London. I've seen that on a documentary you sent me once. That's the one, on mate. Comedy in the 90s. You yep. In York. Uh, it was a show for, what was that early iteration of like ITV for the North? Like GMTV or something? Well, no, it was, uh, it was Tiny Teeth. Yeah. Tiny Teeth. And we did a thing called Running Jokes, um, which I presented. From this building we're in now, there's, uh, they filmed a young Ross Noble um, performing here. Yes, you know, where yes, we are they now. did. Um, at the Cumberland Arms. Where's Ross Noble from? Cramlick. Cramlick. We discussed this oh, last yes, episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting very long in the day. Yeah, we're, very tired, we did four, we're doing four days, well, everyone. We just got sick of um, travelling and not having gigs because the, the nearest decent gigs were London. There was an out in between. There was an out in Scotland. The stand hadn't even opened. Not even you know, in like Leeds? The, or... the stand, no, there was nothing. The stand, Toby Foster hadn't opened his gigs in... In you know, Sheffield. Sheffield, there was nothing. There were no... I think there was one Still in... Still going as Toby. Well, godfather of South uh, Yorkshire. Yeah, it's been. gone. Well, there was, one, there was one gig in Coventry. Who I remember talking to a lad who played in bands there, Mr. Brown's in Coventry. So we used to have to drive. I had my day job driving all the way down to Coventry and back. On, a, on like a Wednesday night to be back in the classroom, but I was only in my 20s, so I could do it then. So we all got together and decided to create this around Anvil, who was like our our Rasputin figure for the uh, for the thing, to create a, um, near the knuckle. So uh, when we talk about Anvil, he's someone I want to I want to get into, because he's a... Like, I do know him a little bit. He was still going when I started, and I, I, you bump into him occasionally. He still now and again comes to a gig. So he's a figure that I think is... Almost mythical in a way. Andrew was like a minotaur. He was like this mythical Geordie. Uh, someone from the younger circuit. He was just somebody, especially when I was in car shares with older ex, like, and they weren't from the north. Oh, do you know Anvil? And I'm like, I never yeah. heard of this Anvil, but also Anvil Springsteen is like famous. Am I not right? Like, I. Not Are you thinking of like, Bruce? <laughs> no, like, I've no, heard yes, the mate. name Anvil Springsteen. Do you know what he was At like? Least within comedy. He did little like, bits of TV. I know but he, he was little bits. But do you know the word is loads. integrity? I think why people liked Anvil was um, 
he was like a dynamo. He was like, uh, what a life he'd had. He'd been a sailor on the Ark Royal um, in the Navy. He'd done this, but he was a very, very kind of socialist sort of guy, very alternative in lifestyle as well as outlook. Um, he'd been a great trade union leader. Yeah, he, yeah, he was yeah. great organiser like that. Um, and he was just dynamic. We all kind of um, were like moths around the flame with him. You know, he was the one who galvanised because a lot of comics wouldn't do anything. We're crap. Tell us about it. Yeah. it. It was meant to be amazing. And he just, by the time I bust on the circuit, he disappeared. Yeah. Well, some just some of the things. So Anvil, obviously, that's not his real name, no. right? Let's. I think it's Paul War. Oh, sorry, I can't say. Well, what now? Said that's Paul. Paul's his first name. So he got the name Anvil because his what he did for a living before he was a stand-up was he was the human anvil. So he was a street performer um, on Northumberland Street and things like that. And what what he would do is he would put a paving slab on his chest. And then his brother would smash the paving slab with a sledgehammer and people would give him money for it. That was what he did before that. And then he stopped doing that because his brother stopped and he got a replacement brother in. He wasn't his brother. who wasn't as good at it and he kept breaking his nose. <laughs> so he sort of went, yeah, I'll take Hazards it. of the workplace, all <laughs> yeah, being yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So he Have sort of seen... went, I'm going to move on, I'll do something else. And he became a stand-up, right? And he never lost his... He's, from, he's lived around here, but he was he's... Who's proper One scouse. of the strongest scouse accents yeah, I've ever heard. Proper scouse. Even to this day. So he's from Liverpool. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Which I don't think is a coincidence. His open line was great. He, he went, I'm from Newcastle upon Tyne. I can't do Anvil's accent. He said, but I'm so clever. Right, guys, I'm from Newcastle upon Tyne. No, he wasn't Welsh, mate. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> that wasn't a bad scouse accent. Go fuck yourself, mate. Well, mate, that wasn't bad at all. Uh, better than mine. And I'm telling the story, Christ. Um, no, actually, you could do the accent for us, mate. That was a good scouse accent. And he, that was the opening line. Uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm so clever. I'm doing the whole act in a Scouse accent just to show how good we are. So he also... It's a bit like Obi's bit about being a black character actor from France, isn't it? I've never watched Obi's bits. So, <laughs> so another thing I know, I've, I've heard about Anvil, and I don't know how true this is, is that the shoe tree, you know the shoe tree in Heaton? No, it's a shoe tree. You don't know the shoe? Okay, the shoe tree in Heaton Park. Oh, the shoe tree, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like a pub. I was, I was thinking of a pub. Oh, right, right. I know yeah, the yeah, shoe yeah. tree. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, if, yeah, for those yeah, who don't yeah. know, Heaton Park, there's um, a, a tree absolutely covered in shoes where people for generations, not generations, but decades have thrown shoes up and it was removed at one point and the local community went, I'm not having that and threw them back up. <laughs> Which I, and I tried to yeah. start one during lockdown in a cemetery in South Shields and I got 13 pairs up and the council removed them. Oh, Genuinely gutted about it. So I've heard, I don't know if you know this, Mike, but I've heard that Anvil started that. Uh, there's lots of things people say Anvil started. Yeah, it, 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 it is like... It's a uh, bit like our Chuck Norris, isn't he? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you oh, this is a true Anvil story. Um... We did a gig in Durham University, and it was for one of the co- well. I mean, it's it's quite a raw university anyway. But this is one of the most raw colleges. Some of the colleges are, are, are less up their own. When we say raw, we mean posh, not who like are all? Irish Republican Not the Army. Irish, yeah, oh, yeah. A, <laughs> yeah, you couldn't tell if we're laughing all the balaclavas and all that. Christ. Anyway, so we're at the um, this gig, and it was basically uh, loads of embryonic Boris Johnsons just off their nuts, just sitting there, not even listening to us. So. Um, Anvil ran across their table, stepping into their food, like stamping <laughs> into all these pro-embryo, proto-Boris foods. And then they obviously stopped and looked at them like, like in horror. And he kind of went, yeah, now I've got your fucking attention. And it was just beautiful. I can't do the accent, but um, nobody else would have been that mental. Did, I mean, it seems unlikely, but 
did they start listening then? Did they start laughing? Yeah. Um, we did. You know, when the comics just laughed. <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter by then. It was it was our gig by then. Yeah. We just thought, yeah, these, these people needed that, mate. Yeah. Um, and I remember when he was doing his last gigs. I mean, I think, like a lot of people who've been doing it a while, he's set it solidified to the point where he was just sort of cracking it out by the end. It's understandable. You know, it's been a long time. And um, his wife got a job in Perth in Australia. That's where he is now, isn't it? Well, no. It's in Australia? No, he was. Um, he went over with his wife, and he was, I remember him saying, it's amazing, man, they've got, there's a pool there, we've got a pool in the house. That put he went over, and he's still doing the odd gig, I think, but there's not, a, there's not many gigs in Perth, you know, when it's not the festival thing, so he's doing the odd one, and then people hadn't heard from him for a while, then it was like, oh, Anvil's back. And it turns out what had happened is they got divorced, and it's, so obviously he lost his green card, his right to be over there. And instead of just coming home, what he did is he got on a motorbike and went on the run in the bush for six months. <laughs> That's such an honour. Till he got thing. deported. Yeah. Christ alive. Now he works on a building site and seems, from what I gather, fairly happy. Where? Well, I think building sites are in different places. But like in the northeast. Yeah, this part the... of the world. Yeah, he's, he's still there. here. Yeah, I've, I've seen him. I haven't before. seen him since spotting the Yeti. I've heard he's back, but I haven't seen him. <laughs> <laughs> he was at a he was at a gig in the Chillingham not that long well just before lockdown I remember I was doing an hour there and it was just one that I put in with Carla Halbert who books it and I was like well I've not really got anything but I'll just do a best of because I you know I'll work out some new stuff and it's quite daunting him and he was on Tom Taylor was on before me not the Tom Taylor we talked about who wrote the play that uh, <laughs> that would have been some gig wouldn't it like Claire Boyd yeah. Tom Taylor's a vampire as well as <laughs> Abraham Lincoln and he kept talking to Anvil during his set not knowing who he was no! and Anvil, he was like what do you do what do you? he's like I don't want to but there wasn't but any it was not oh and it, shit and eventually afterwards he went, he went oh, I used to be a comic and that and he was like what was your name and he was like fucking hell you're you shit. <laughs> the man the, yeah. the legend he's like oh god I feel like such a dick Fucking, I would not know what to do. I would be, yeah, I'd be like, oh my god, I've just discovered the Yeti. Like, <laughs> yeah. so he sounds like a sort of Jedi. Oh, yeah. he, was, he was like a like a, a Scouse Geordie Yoda legend figure. I mean, you you couldn't, you had you just oozed charisma. Um, and we were all just, I mean, he was about eight years older than us. We were all in our early twenties. So Anvil was like um, this man of the world, being in the navy, done this, done that, and he kind of looked after us. Yeah, so so how did was this all his idea? Would you say? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I might be wrong, but I think it was. Uh, it's a bit like I mean, they like felt now you've got the, the, like the driving force behind it because we're all crap, wouldn't do anything. But it's like you. Um, I mean, who were the who were the main ones? Well, just the, uh, some of us. There's, there's a bunch of others, right? And it was whatever happened. Anvil was the, like the focus and the locus. He was the guy who um, the ideas happened around, and he's the guy who had the ideas. <laughs> Um, we all agreed when he said it that, you know, we need to do something. And uh, getting a, Christ, can imagine a load of people with ADHD and that trying to think of a name for a Geordie comedy collective. It was a nightmare. Yeah. And near the knuckle, um, I think I've still got the T-shirt somewhere. I've had a load of T-shirts printed. And we did like a regional tour and stuff like that. And we really tried our best. But um, this is doing much better. Felt now it's doing much as, better. As acts, do you think it was that because you would have only been so established then. I think the, one of the lucky things we have is we've got a lot of new acts, but there's also a lot of acts, acts live around here who aren't new, who are able to headline gigs, compare gigs. Like, where were you saying? We were all about a year or two in our career and there wasn't the work. I mean, as I said, the stand hadn't even opened. Um, I think as well, we have the, the benefits of like trying to spread this thing into areas with 
the internet and the mm. technology we have. Is... And people already know what stand-up is the way we yeah, do it. Yeah, stand-up is conceptualised now. So, so true. Um, what we were doing, um, I remember I've, I was talking to David Johns about this, um, and it was punk rock. We were doing punk rock. Uh, we had to make our own venues. People didn't understand. People saw it as dangerous. Pe- people did not get it. I think if I seen an institution called Near the Knuckle and I didn't know what stand it was, I think it was some sort of finger in society. Well, we'd actually mentioned that one before. <laughs> didn't we? Oh, uh, we were calling it one. Somebody actually got it wrong. He said, oh, he was from one off the wrist. <laughs> 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 I said, oh, we've come a bit early, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we, we, we just tried all these ridiculous names. It must have been like sixth formers trying to think of a name for the band. It was that level of daft. Well, it is hard. I don't know if any of you were there. It might have been. We had a, before Felt Now even happened, Gav Webster organised a meeting about a year earlier at the Chile for something similar. And the whole of the meeting was just trying to think of a name. And then afterwards, we all went, it's not fucking worth it. It's like the Chilean popular yeah. front and all that. Yeah. Yeah. The, hard, the hardest thing I've ever fucking had. I think writing a name for my Edinburgh shows is so much harder yeah. than writing the show. Yeah. I spent so much more time on that. Then you go, well, I don't think you'll never be. It's like, how do I market this in a way that immediately people are going to What are you calling it? Because I, I think you'll never beat Newcastle Brown Mail. That was just. Oh, thank you for telling me my peak was my debut, you prick. <laughs> oh, was it? Oh, shit. No. This one's called Fully. Wish, but with an eye. That was a friggin' name, that though. Yeah, mate. it was. But you know, it's really interesting about Newcastle Brown Mail and just about. I suppose if we talk about history, I think it's important. You know, is in the past ten years that joke is when I used to open, I used to say I'm a Geordie Indian man, or if you'd rather, a Newcastle Brown Mail. Even in Newcastle, particularly, but outside the house had come down. Yeah. And the past sort of, I'd say four or five years, I've had to reframe it and mm. do the European way. You may outside in Newcastle, even in Newcastle, are oh, you know. You may have heard of New, like outside of Newcastle. I'd say you may have heard of uh, the famous beer Newcastle Brown Ale. I'm in fact the ambassador for that beer on the Newcastle Brown Ale because people just don't have the reference in their head immediately. Like in the way that Newcastle Brown Ale was, you'd see it if you watch football. You'd see it. It's iconic, it was everywhere. Wasn't it? Yeah. It's not really iconic no, like that not, anymore. Right. Some people might get it immediately, but for a lot of people, it's deep mm. dark, lodged in the back part of their head, and That's they're just- like. What do you mean you're in Newcastle Brown Mail? It's a fucking really convoluted. It's called getting old. Yourself. It's getting old, mate. About? That's what it's called. Getting no, old. Time's moving on. It's something we talked about in one of the earlier these episodes, though, which is about how nothing's mainstream anymore. I've yes. noticed now, where even from when I started, you could just say something and people would know. Now you've got to explain almost every mm. reference before you do the punchline. Even Game of Thrones. I mean, I do these jokes in Game of Thrones, other things in Europe, and they do quite well because it's a certain type of crowd. It's European expats, English speaking, yeah. often times English, and they're a bit new and a bit more adventure based in the sense of the moves they like fantasy and sci-fi it sort of defines how they live their life but in the UK what you got to bear in mind and even in the US I would imagine is Game of Thrones was the most popular TV show ever the most pirated the most streamed the most watched you drop a Game of Thrones reference 70% of the room won't know what the fuck you're I've talking about no I've never yeah. seen it there you go like yeah. and I just Fucking wish. Yeah, I was it has like, fragmented. You're right. There is no mainstream. Imagine when there was just five was, Imagine it and being like all your news, entertainment, and sport from the same five. Yeah, channels. imagine it being 1991 and you mentioned Timmy Mallet. Everyone knows who he is immediately. Or cultural references. I don't know who Timmy Mallet is. Yeah. There you go. Showing like the differences in age here. Yeah. I, I tell you what, as well, we had and I miss it. Um, the only way you get any um, kind of media kind of um, exposure was say through Tainty's telly. We had our little, and it was lovely. And they actually used to do these low budget comedy shows, so we'd all get our face on the telly. Um, and the local, like the Chronicle, would put us in. So that, that was your media. So when we launched near the Knuckle, Tyne T's brought the camera crew down to the theatre. 
Now, now you just get your phone and put it on the bloody net, wouldn't you? But we had to have Tainty's telly. So we became relatively um, big fish in little pools mm. in the northeast because people knew your face. They'd seen you on the telly and everyone watched the telly. So was that, would that have been like, Everything that's going on there is that Anvil's pushing that. Aye, Anvil. I mean, we, we, I mean, there was like um, Paul Sneddon and them were, were like, yes. you know, really important. So he was obviously well. Scottish, but was living yeah, down here. Yeah, he'd lived down here, yeah. Uh, Vladimir McTavish, as, as he is uh, now. Who is still going, still very, Aye. still similar to you in way, in that he's been going a long time, but he's always still bringing new stuff. You haven't Thank rested you. on your laurels. Oh, your stuff's terrible, but it's oh, new. So, but it's new. <laughs> it's new. I'm trying to think of what else is going on. We actually had more of a, I would say, uh, what I like was like a, a more variety-based base. I mean, we had the ugly jugglers who were brilliant. Okay. Uh, these two gay lads did this fabulous juggling act, and there was room for that then. Yeah, the I, don't know, I don't know where you would fit that in on a building. Wait, I didn't know how it fitted in there, because they, they used to do it with juggling fire, and then they set the roof of the um, the cafe alight next to the theatre. That was a night. You could see the polystyrene tiles. I'm thinking, this is getting a little bit of news for the wrong reason here. Like, um, just, these days, you wouldn't get the public liability insurance, you wouldn't, you would wouldn't, you? No. you know what I mean? I remember being six, and I went to the... Uh, I got pissed on by a tiger, because I <laughs> went to the... Genuinely true. Genuinely, I went to the zoo. Not the zoo, the circus. And they had tigers jumping through flaming hoops. I'm just like, you'd never get the health and safety now, would you? No. But then afterwards, uh, we would see the tiger in the cages. Interesting, but true story. So I'm there with my grandma, the one who built the tanks in Catterick. Foggy day like this, overcast. And I was like, uh, pissing it down with rain out of nowhere. Grandma puts up the umbrella. still raining. And it's fucking heavy, heavy rain. And it stinks. At this point, we realised the fucking tiger's got its leg open and it's pissing on us. Um, and two things, two very interesting things about this. Number one, we went home and mum said she'd try to wash the clothes three times over, couldn't get the smell out and threw them away. Number two, there was a Northeast celebrity and he was just stood as we were getting pissed. He just started laughing his fucking head off, just couldn't stop. We turned around, it was there. At then, Olympic silver medalist, now Olympic gold medalist, Jonathan Edwards. Ah, really? Yeah. Jonathan Edwards watched me as a child get pissed on by a tiger. I think that's what inspired him. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's a oh god that's a whole new genre isn't it there'd be, be somewhere on youtube would probably show that now wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> i think that'd be more dark web anyway have you uh, heard the story mick ferry tells about uh the gong show if we're talking about health and safety and just what the hell is going on here go on uh apparently <laughs> do the gong show keys and came up <laughs> Whipped out out of nowhere, like you just didn't look. Mick couldn't tell where he was carrying it. Just whipped out a sawn-off shotgun. Oh yeah! And just started shooting in the air. And Mick just and everyone ducked. It was only blanks, but it's still not yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, and Mick you. just smashed the gong and was like, "Get off!" What I love that. you. Think he thought doing? he was shooting the room, but he would respect the gong though. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah to be fair, I wouldn't We're... gong him off. I'd be like, "This guy wins." I want to know what's happening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, have we got any more Anvil Springsteen stories because oh. this bloody myth sounds amazing well um, there was oh god I'm, 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 be, I'm trying to think of libelousness what's the word liability and stuff like that who, which of the names you got on there well you tell me who was there because I'm thinking like I don't know the time exactly. well I mean so with people, Anvil, like, people like Steve Drayton well it's big punk of Steve works at the BBC now I mean the work kind of anarchic times it, it was mental Um we went, uh, one Anvil story is, um, we, we did gigs wherever they would have for gigs. Um, and I remember going down, I actually had Bill Bailey 
in me car one of the times we went down the off um, you know, well, off Bill Bailey yeah B- Bill Bailey the big <laughs> megastar well he was in a, a group called um, Bill Bailey off of Black Books not seeing yeah, anything yeah. else the rubber <laughs> the rubber bishops in a I crashed my car. I could have ended his career. But the same venue we're going to was this pub right on the seafront in Hartlepool or somewhere. And it was basically used by prostitutes, the room upstairs. So there was me and Anvil, and there was nobody in the room until this lady uh, appeared with our client. And they just started watching us. And we thought, this is weird. But apparently they were only watching us so we would leave so she could use the room. Wait, they were watching you do stand up or they were just watching you in the corner? Just watching me do stand up at the front. Wait, and so then she said, I thought you said no in this you, room. Were you doing stand up to nobody? Yeah, until till this woman turned up. And I thought, oh, Christ, because we're just going to go. <laughs> Why home. are we doing stand up to nobody? Why are we. Oh, I've done that before, Christ. I've done yeah. that before. I've <laughs> done that before. You've never done stand up to anybody. Uh-huh. Like, not a single yeah, person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. I've done that. Are you too fucking. I know your story, <laughs> yeah. because your story was when you did a kids' show. In a in, shopping mall, in but it was council funded. So when nobody turned up, you were like, well, let's just cancel this. And they went, oh, well, it's it's council funded. So if the council walk past and see nothing on, we'll get in trouble. The and we'll lose pays. the funding. Yeah. Very, very similar. So you, oh, is that yeah. right? How was it council very, funded? Very similar one, yeah. Right, was, I thought you no, 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 no. the show to nobody. doing that. Uh, yeah, I would. I, well, I've done, that. I've done a show to an audience when I wish... They weren't there, and I pretended they weren't there. <laughs> uh, it was Harriet Dyer because I was, I was, I, was, I emailed, uh, emailed, message of the week. Very funny, non Jordy, very, very funny. funny. Doing the Soho Theatre suit. And we did this um, uh, gig. Um, it was a. I wanted to work. New, I'd always worked New Year's Eve, and as the circuit died a bit, there was a New Year. The high end had gone. I couldn't work, so I got in touch with um, Neil. You know who does um, the gigs? Hilarity Bates. Yeah, that Neil, and he saw I can get you a gig in. Um, it was in flipping Nottingham. So I went down there because I wanted to work New Year's Eve with this fetish. And Harriet was on. But the, the, you know when you walk, you drive past a pub and you think, I, I, I would really hate to go in there. <laughs> that looks mental. That, that, look, that looks like, a, um, anyway, that was the venue. So I went in there and the tale was that the, the, the pub had been run by the local um, mafia stroke drug gang. Where was it, sorry? In Nottingham, right? And the guy who took it over, who looked pretty tasty himself, wanted to make a go of it as a venue. So he thought, if I put some comedy on, I'll get the punters in. No, all he got was the drug gang sitting there as normal. It sounds like that scene in The Sopranos. It really... And I went on stage and I used my military training against um, being... um, It's called Red Dot. You stare at a... If you're getting interrogated, you stare at a spot on the wall and, and just focus on that. And I went on there, mate, and I didn't do any quips. Because, I mean, you could have taken the slash out of them massively, but they were all coked up and mental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, uh, I didn't have to do... Um, I was caught and didn't have to do the second spot. Harriet went on, and then these people started snorting Charlie off the bar openly. So the owner called the coppers, and then there was blue lights everywhere, big raid on the pub, and uh, we slipped out the back door, and I'm sure I'd got torched the yeah, next babe. day. Yeah, oh God, we made sure we got paid, yeah. <laughs> Look, um, comics are so stupid. Look, I'm now, I'm now the bird of this down. Have you got me cash? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this gig's... I can't afford Nottingham for nothing. Oh, I can't do that God. shit for free. No, I was talking about that. She still remembers it. Like it was, I mean, at the time, it's funny now, but at the time, it was terrifying. It really was. Right. I, I believe I've got quite a good story, maybe to best to wrap up with, uh, about gigging to no one. Right, let's well let's do that in the thingies in the bonus. Yeah, but first I want a cu- couple of names at you because the most famous one from there would be Ross Noble. Well, we, uh, there's a video on that one. I certainly roll. Um, if we did a gig here at the Cumberland Arms, and the premise of this thing was, I took my uncle who was a club act around the burgeoning northeast 
alternative scene. And one of the gigs was here at the Cumberland Arms. And there was a young 16-year-old lad doing a surreal juggling act. A very embryonic Ross Noble. Did he seem good at first? Because his, his strikes me as an act where you'd go, you've got to get very good before this is Do you know dreadful. when you, you talk about that thing where they're so but different? People could get good. Do you know what I mean back then? People mm. had time a little bit. There was bit. something about, and I'm not just saying this with hindsight, there was something about Ross that was so different. I, I've heard a lot of his stuff isn't actually improvised. Well, I mean, not when he was 16, I didn't pick his arc. Imagine no, but like this whole thing when I was coming up, bear in mind, mid-early 2000s, I'm yeah. a teenager, right? I'm like 14, 15. Oh, this Ross Noble, he makes it. Like, even before I got into stand-up, it was really something I was thinking of a career choice and I was looking into it left, yeah. right and centre and discovering all these new names. Ross Noble was someone who just occupied this alternate and yeah. mainstream space. Yeah. It's very hard to do almost... and reflects an immense talent. And one of the things you heard... It's the reason as well, like, one thing I heard about, my mum told us about that Only Fools and Horses scene, why it's the funniest scene in TV history. Stuart Lee may hate it, but the reason it's actually apparently funny is because it wasn't intended. Right. The bar was moved accidentally. I've told that, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, anyway, but it's still a right, good story, mate. Point yeah. being, point being, not a second time. <laughs> anyway, point being, uh, I heard Ross Noble improvised everything. He'd walk on stage scriptless and just come up with his shit. And then since I've gotten a comedy, later on I've heard that, actually... That's, no, that's I not the case. What I think Ross is, has a structure, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I, think think he, he I think he's what yeah. I do. Like, you know, I've got a crowd work show. He writes on stage, but then he remembers if... I, I imagine yeah. that's yeah. how he writes, which is the way I write. You know? Exactly. But same. these things you know, get changed works. over time and the and people grows, print the legend. And people used to say Billy Connolly did that and they go, no, he doesn't. People go, he doesn't even know what he's going to say. It's like, no, he doesn't yeah. plan what he's going to say, but he's got a bank of stories he knows he can get to. He's not just going on there and going, I've never said any of this ever. That's not fucking that. But a five-minute bit the start of the week. Not a single one of these words. I'm not going to like I'm sure Ross Noble has bits where he goes off track and he's a good yeah. improviser yeah. but he's not just going on the stage at the start of a two hour show going right then yeah of course <laughs> That's not not fucking happening is but it but to the point as it looks like that yeah which is the skill I suppose yeah. the skill of us all is sometimes people think you've just thought of it that's what you're trying to make it look like I think that's the best standard if you can go on stage and look like you just thought of it then but yeah. he did look like he had something at first absolutely yeah yeah did yeah. anyone is there anyone, because I know some of them are still going now, any of them who were just terrible and worked at it and got good? I think we were all terrible, mate. Without being, yeah, without being yeah. weird, you cannot say that. We were, we were trying something new. And also, there was, I mean, for the younger lads like you, at least there was somebody done it before you up here, even to look at and go, I'm not going to do it like that. But somebody done it. But for us to try it at that time, when the only the comedians were uh, club comedians, and nobody done what we were doing. Yeah, um, it was quite scary. You're inventing so, a new yeah, thing. so we we were all uh, we were all frigging dreadful at the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody was. This will make you laugh. When I first started, um, you know, when I first came to North East, I was doing. I still just had this idea that every comedian was like full time, and there were just this god, this demigod that had fucking mastered the universe and managed to turn their passion into a craft and then turn it into a job. And I remember like. Even the two people running open mic, who at the time was Long Live Comedy, and it was George Zach and Stephen Frizzle. And I remember going to the stand and seeing Stephen, George, and uh, Stephen, and thinking, like, oh my God, these people like. And Stephen, I think, was full time and still is. Yeah. He's got the BBC and the radio and stuff. I was absolutely crestfallen <laughs> when I realised that George actually worked at the AA by the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And Stephen was, well, Stephen. Claimed he was full time, let's not get into that. Stephen made some money from other circumstances. Might I did. <laughs> the, 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 he definitely made some money from comedy. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, you thinking people are demigods, I once got a shag 
on the back of somebody with the same premise you made there. There was this lass, I'd been on Tainties doing the documentary <laughs> and um, was it some, I released a video as well. I was on telly twice in one week and this lass had seen it and thought I was a star. And um, she was quite starstruck, which is, I, I was a boring teacher, you know what I mean? So <laughs> um, when we, uh, I won't mention her name, uh, Sandra, but um, I went, when, we, when we went back to me flat, every time we did the business, she would make us put me cassette in, showing, oh God. <laughs> showing us doing me, because I taped it off the telly, oh she God. would make us show this thing, this uh, documentary of me being famous, I think just to fire it up, because the, the oh real, the, my, 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 my monochrome life was so dull, oh you know I think she was expecting this to happen pool parties, you know, snorting coke off prostitutes' asses, stuff like that. I used to go home and do me marking. And <laughs> Luckily, you already had the video ready to go because he'd been wanking to himself. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, get, get hey, you know, I had that speed perfect. Getting it in, Ford started back on the set, the curtains drawn. There you go, finished by the punchline. <laughs> the first time I did any telly, the. the, the, the much sought after BBC Big Asian comedy night. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, all we all remember that fondly, mate. Can all you can all get on, but you know only select few have. Uh, <laughs> how, how did the choose you for? Uh, um, when I did that, to be fair, the first day I came in from a night out, and as soon as it was on, I went straight eye play, and they'd made it like the front of eye play. And I, I honestly could have wanked to that to be yeah, 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 yeah. my face on I play next to match of the day. I, I, I did, did, did actually, mate. I did. Yeah, yeah. I used that picture on my Tinder profile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number one thing you would see. I'm glad I've been married a long time, like because I've had so little success. I'd have been barren as fuck. <laughs> Mickey, before we wrap this one up, I'm going to say one other name because I know he's someone very relevant. And uh, but, but with the caveat that this, like. Whenever this fella's name's brought up, it's in relation to the sad circumstances about his death, which we're not going to go into, actually. Okay. What I want to know I is... I think this guy was on the documentary you showed me. Yeah, he was. People oh, talk about how much of a, how talented he, he, was, he was, right? But what they never talk about is what his act was actually like. And I'd rather... Talk, so we're going to talk about Tony right. Mendoza. Tony- we're not going to talk about the fact that he had a sad end of his life because it would be nice to talk about... What he was good at. Do you know what you talked about where 50% of the room are crying and 50% of the room didn't know what the hell was Patrice happening? Patrice O'Neill standard for the best company. That was Tony. You could Also, some nights he would go and he would bomb. Yeah. He wasn't in the mood. He wasn't bothered. Then there were other nights where we just felt like packing up and going home because he was performing at a level of, and it was genius, a level of genius that we couldn't even touch. It was, it was beautiful to watch. He was so good. Um, he was a, he was a jolly poet. He was surreal. He was just a funny. He was like from a, a different dimension. He was like just this um, bizarre being, um, but so jolly as well with it. Um, he, he did a, a, a poem on. If you see this, I mean, I can't even do it justice. Can I just quickly ask: Is Tony Mendoza's real name? Yeah. That was Tony Mendoza like was his real name. The Simpsons, didn't yeah, it? No, yeah. no, it was Tony a real. It was. A, I think he had uh, obviously Spanish ancestry. Tony Mendoza. Yes, but it was. He was. He Spanish was, ancestry. That that'll be it, right? Spanish. I think it was Spanish. Okay, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, but I'm. I, I can't do his uh, his um, material he, justice. I can't. I can't. But uh, he stood up and he did a poem. He said, he said he was a vegan. He said his name was Brian, but when I saw his leather jacket. I knew that it was lying, right? It was just absolutely, I can't do it just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just beautiful. That's one bit I remember. Um, just, yeah, just, he should have been huge. But like Don Ward offered him um, 
a spot at the Comedy Store in London, which would have been like the gateway. Yeah. Tony didn't bother going down. I sort of admire that. Yeah. I, I also understand it because it, it seems like some of the same instinct I've got is to go, if I don't do it, I can't fuck it up. You know? Yeah, that, that was Tony. But uh, just a privilege um, watching him when he was on form. There was nobody could touch him. You know, it was just brilliant. So did this, in terms of just near the knuckle in general, did it just sort of dwindle away because people were doing their own stuff? and maybe? I think what happened, two things there, yeah, dwindling. Also, the circuit really took off. Yeah, so there was um, Jonglers opened, um, the Glee opened, the stand opened, and suddenly there was a... Uh, and we'd all put the time in there a bit as well, like the uh, Frog and Bucket. I mean, I learned to compare between the, the Frog and Bucket and the um, Hyena in Newcastle. Yeah. Um, I, I was there a couple of times a month each, each one, and you, you, you cut your teeth doing that. Wow. I really wish I was around those days. £1,000 on a Friday, £1,000 on a Saturday. There's a quote Mike said to me once, I don't know if you remember saying it, but it stuck with me. He went, I tell you what, Lee, 2002 was a great time to be a mediocre <laughs> comedian. <laughs> it, was, <yeah. laughs> it was, it was. By the time I got in, Raul, you had to be good. It killed me. Think about when I fucking started. <laughs> you know what I mean? You had to be amazing. No, I, I do feel for the... We uh, didn't have no BBC Asian uh, networks uh, when I started. Yeah. <laughs> No, it, it was... Uh, the- I think nowadays you've got to be better at different things. Like, so many comedians who are very decent on the circuit, very decent in clubs, have gone stratospheric via... I mean, they've gone stratospheric via podcasting and sometimes, like, clips. Yeah. yeah. Sketches are a real big thing as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm terrible at all that. I can't sit in front of a desk for that long. Like, I can't sit staring at... A sc- and the watching videos of myself is making me... I mean, it's probably maybe insensitive given what we're just talking about, but, but it's, it's it too, is really too... killing us. It is yeah, really it's making not, my mental health quite yeah, low. It's not fun for me. It's depressing us. It's making us anxious. I feel like yeah. I'm struggling to keep up, and I hate it. My agents yeah. told me to do it through and through, but I hate every fibre of my being. I'm and what really my life you on that, mate. Yeah. Because those times, that time spending, I'd be writing. I, I don't want to be a content be, creator. Cre- yeah, I'd be creative, or at least I'd be learning, do you know yeah. what I mean? And now I'm just like... It was better when there was more... I didn't sign up to be a video editor. No. <laughs> no. No, it was better when you just did the clubs and you got it. I mean, it gave more power to the agents, which was the downside. Well, this is the half and half. I don't want to scale yeah. it too much because people who were crushing clubs and were just completely overlooked. Went nowhere. Dan Nightingales, Adam, yeah. Adam Rose have gone stratospheric off the back of it. Uh, and it has helped a lot of working class comedians make their own path. It's very punk in its own sense. It's just something that I hate doing and I'm not good at. So for me, I don't like it. Yeah. But I don't want to resent it anyone So it's not to do with your, your comedic ability. It's your tech ability as well, isn't it? Yeah, and, and you've got this whole thing with the crowd work now. And it's like the clips have to be crowd, crowd work. Oh, don't yeah. They? And yeah, I, yeah. As you know, I do a lot of crowd work. I compare places, but I've made a point of not putting any out because... I'm, some people are good at it and I'm good at it I can do crowd You're very work, good at right? crowd not, work mate. but, but I don't want I don't want that to be me thing you know what I mean like and it's hot so I've been putting some clips out of stand up on account of that you have to some have done alright some haven't and I know that the best thing to do would be me but you see so many stand up clips that are crowd work and you go this is mediocre as fuck. There's some brilliant bits, but so many go, this is just a bog standard compa. Some of them are literally work. more the audience being yeah. funny yeah. than the comedian. Yeah. But, is, but that, is that what people are expecting now? Because you're getting um, people now, don't get this wrong, there's some people like, like Paul Smith's done magnificently. I think he, but he Paul can... Smith was always, in my personal opinion, a phenomenal crowd worker. Yeah. He was a phenomenal MC, and the only reason he was never going to go stratospheric was because... He never he left was... Liverpool. 
Too, he would never left Liverpool. He was too committed to his kid. Yeah. Who requires... Uh, oh, so we could say committed to his kid, not too committed to his kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. He was committed to his kid. Sorry, I'm looking at this from a purely soulless... Like, look, I don't think anyone can say a bad word about Paul. No, As well as does. being a phenomenal comic, he's the nicest he man on nice the circuit. Man. There's not a single person. But he set person. the template, I'm saying, for like... Um, but as well, like, I don't think he'd never have done it himself. He had the, the Blair brothers behind him who yeah. were setting him a club and were trying to promote that club more yeah. so than anything. But the person they had loads of material that it was just endless because it was crowd work and they could use it was Paul. Yeah, Paul, Paul wasn't Paul was phenomenal down adding, adding subtitles Yeah, to that videos. was Binty and Paul. Yeah. And Binty right. and Paul both put the... And I think they did a lot for all of us. I don't think people realise how much... When their clips were going viral on Facebook and Insta, how much people were contacting other comedians than you going, I want to put on a comedy night and yeah. so on and so yes, forth. Mate. You know, I had my first viral clip with 100,000. Jack Alec, the reserve keeper, commented on it at the time. Um, and that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for them. But like they were trying to build that. And that, in turn, has led to, well, everything else that sort of had the impact. But it's, it's like a lot of these things. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because that's also led to you having to sit in and add subtitles to videos of your face. Yeah, it's you made know? me think. Like, I've honestly thought, like, maybe I should move to Liverpool and just do hot, hot <laughs> water. And do that then. Monday, yeah. Sunday to Thursday and just get them to clip as many clips as they can. Yeah. And as well, because the rope might, I can take risks. So if it's shit, they won't make the clip. And if it's good, like, you know, yeah. but then I can craft things better. I've honestly thought about that from a perspective. Um... But yeah, it's, it is a double-edged sword, you're right, but every sort of technological change or the way the game changes has, you know, different impacts upon different people. Yeah. It's taken the power out of You've the hands of agents, which is a good thing. Um, but you're right. It's, or it's moved the power to, to agents to be a slightly different thing. Well, ironically, I just signed with my agent. I love them. They've been really great for us. Uh, I, I couldn't recommend them anymore. But one of them, they're the ones who are pushing us to make yeah. these clips and clips and clips. And I need to have a phone call, Mebs, and just say, like, this is making me unhappy. Yeah. Can they not is hire it some working? Tech? Because it's going to work it for It is something. working. It's definitely I, I working. My numbers are going up. And I think that I can eventually, if I keep at it, uh, these numbers will eventually turn into tours. You'd think, but who knows? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much it's things. People... Nah, a lot of people I spoke to put out clips and they've done well. I've, I've, I've been able to fill out a theatre pretty quickly pretty easily yeah but there's also a lot of people who put like I don't, it's hard to say. I'm not necessarily arguing about I'm just saying so like I put a thing out on TikTok so I'll put this down on Fidgen that went pretty well and it's like oh it's nice to watch the numbers take over but you go but what am I what is this though other than a number you it's don't know consistency like I feel like for me they told us to put a clip out every day but I don't think that's actually the best thing to do because some of the clips are pretty bang average but I'm just doing it for the algorithm more than I'm doing it for the yeah. audience yeah. but I think if I put out a consistent a good clip that sort of matches my brand every week that's like, gonna really. I think I'm in a decent position. In a place where I'm not doing what I'm doing now, like on Friday I drive to Hull and then on Saturday I drive to Pontypridd. I've spent three weeks in Amsterdam. I've had a last tell us today that even though we're getting on really well and we're gonna go on the first day tonight, um, she thinks I'm too busy with fucking circuit stuff. Yeah. That's probably not gonna work. And she's right. I can't like. Yeah, I can't it's, it's that. hard. But if I can do like a four month tour on and a six month just back at my house and then do a few northeast it's circuits tricky isn't it because I'm so constantly torn between wanting more time not doing this and then when I'm not doing it feeling guilty that I'm not doing enough it's really hard isn't it like, well, well back in the day is crucial. It, a lot of casualties um, myself one of them um, where so many people's relationships it was like being in the army you were away to, to earn a living back in the day you had to be away every weekend yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. it just tore the pants um, I used to uh, Gav Webster huge respect because he used to drive home. Even we were doing a Leicester Christmas show run, and Still Gav, does. Gav drove home every night 
from Leicester to Newcastle and back the next day. And I was saying, Gav, you'll kill yourself. Well, he's still married. <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? More and more um, as I get older, for all I've maybe achieved in comedy and how good certain things are going, I genuinely miss being loved by someone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's got man. that. If he's can got can that. I just well, tell you, mate, do not end up right. There are people on the circuit who put everything in the circuit basket and they are now lonely. Well, that's why I'm 55. and trying to move it. Yeah. The circuit's yeah, still me bread and butter, but at 30, it's not quite when you're 22, 23, 24 and you're travelling to fucking Amsterdam for two yeah. weeks and you're living the life of Riley. It's a bit more like, I'm fucking 32. I'm, I'm away again. Yeah. I'm still looking for the cheapest you'll be four. You'll be 40 I, I, before you know where you uh, are well, mate yeah just like lost someone who loves us and have, have a life that would be my best have a life like a parallel life I mean okay I'm still doing this I love doing it but I've got kids I've got, you know, got somebody you who loves me you know what I used to do my saving grace I used to smoke weed well, you're in a hotel just, just feel warm and loved yeah, if you're yeah, high yeah. anyway but it's also I mean? a match of the day you're alright <laughs> but it's but also a technique to for my own yeah. to be a better comic and now I'm like maybe that should bring that but it's also a technique to hide from your problems isn't it Huh? It's also a technique to hide from their problems as well, isn't it? And which is well, it was in its own way a solution. Yeah. Also, watch, watch the the term solution. watching the Ashley <laughs> there. Yeah, there was, it was no other way. Night, I'd smoke a joint and I was all right. Do you know what I mean? I wake up the next day happy. I'd be a bit slower. But it's like, was that during the Ashley years though? Watching that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stone to watch that. But it's like with some of the near the knuckle thing about and the similarities that were felt now. It's like I was one of the people here at the start when we set it all up. You know, I had meetings and that to try to see what was viable. And part of the reason was, like, say to be away from home less and I've got to say I'm working less since lockdown because I'm not travelling as much um, I'm not spending as much which is a crucial yeah. thing as well like you'd seem to I've not noticeably got less money but I'm, I've never had loads but I have to say there's been something really nice but also not great for my career about being home a bit more and having to just being able to spend well, the time with my wife yeah. but also it means that now when I do travel fuck me it spoils me whole week yeah. this the takeover and a lot of things have sort of made me go like oh, I should probably plonk myself in Newcastle there's some things going on um, but then I filmed something for a TV channel yesterday and I had to get up like whereas everybody else got up at 10 and got the studio at mm. 11 I had to get up at 6 and get on the train at 7 and I just wasn't quite up to it like yeah, the not words quite, were yeah. coming out the right way you know? that's made me go actually maybe I should go but I don't know I've got me Eggs in so many baskets now. I don't know which particular one but to zone in on. If we've learned one thing, and I think this is a thing we can end this on, which is the crucial point. What we're not good at, and I mean us three as people, and it's quite is focusing on one thing. Like, oh it, yeah, it may also be, it may actually be healthier for you to go. I'm not going. I'm not that person. Maybe it is healthier for you to go. I'll have a lot of things in and see what comes out, and I just accept that that's what you are. You know. Yeah, but that's the thing. You got to focus on. I think three or four particular things, as opposed to just one. And as opposed to just 27 like we yeah. do at the minute. Yeah. Anyway, I think this has gone somewhat from history to uh, sociology comedy yeah, and yeah, also yeah, yeah. psychotherapy for but me. But in the future, this will be history. So it's yeah, nice. <laughs> so I have actually a good story about gigging to no one that we'll talk about in the bonus episode. Uh, please, if you perhaps these weren't up your street, do bear in mind that the next few episodes will be on um, the, 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 the RAF, the military, and a special with a very famous author. Uh, and then we're going to explore different timelines again remember 18th September that is the live show otherwise apart from this little bit at the end where we've sort of gone off into different <laughs> things about modern comedy uh, I think it's been a fascinating insight into the history of northeast comedy I hope so mate. I've had a lovely time Thomas I've liked Fatu, it too where it started maybe before then I'm sure the Romans had a sense of humour yeah, and I'm sure that. before that um, even in Doggerland people were sat around campfires uh, 
talking, telling jokes, telling stories, uh, helping Mourning people comprehend. Mourning about how you used to get more money in the past. In Will there be three daft lads in a hundred years' time? Or, or whatever. Ending today with us three chatting shit about the modern comedy scene. Which we clearly love. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the turn is in a lot. But then it is the end of a four-hour recording session. So... You thank you once again. Thank you once again for joining us, ladies, gentlemen, non-binary friends, and monsters from South Shields. This has been Time Travel. We hope you've enjoyed this four-part special on Northeast Comedy History. Just a reminder, please sign up for the Patreon. Five pound a month, you get access to. If you want to see, maybe we've got. I know you've got the documentary, Mike. Is that documentary on? No, but you can pass it over. Uh, I'm not going to pass it over. I don't we'll know if there's copyrighting, sure. but Time Tees have gone. We'll only give it to the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if it gets taken down, it gets taken yeah, down. I'll, if you I'll sign I'll up in the short run, that. you'll at least have access to it. We'll get yeah, that on there. I'll pass it. I haven't passed it on to you anyway, mate. Nope. mate. Okay. It's definitely not copyrighted to the best of our knowledge, just so none of us are and breaking it. And if it is, I don't anyway, care. Uh, Incidentally, by the okay, way, if so enough of you sign up to the Patreon, if enough of you do sign up to the Patreon, then we can employ someone to um, edit our clips forward. And then that will, in, in turn, increase the number of clips that go out and the number of um, tickets sold for every I'll send it shows. over. I'll send it over, yeah. So yeah, sign up there. There's loads of old specials. If we've got anything from Am- Anvil Springsteen, maybe on there. Definitely not got anything. Anvil from is Spaces. on the um, on the the stock. <clears throat> it's called Running Jokes, and Anvil's on it. Davy Jones is on there it. Is, all, there yeah. is a little bit of Anvil on it. Oh, I forget the name of it. On a on a comedy panel show from Time Tees in the early years of this century, ran by Simon Donald, whose name escapes us. But yes, briefly. There you one. go. So if you want to see what Anvil Springsteen, the man, the myth, the legend was all about, you've got two choices. Either you sign up for our Patreon at £5 a month or you find out which building site he's on. <laughs> uh, that's a wrap. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in for the bonus episode to hear perhaps the worst comedy story of gigging to zero people I have to tell. Uh, thank you very much. See you next time. Thank you, mate. She's a big lass and a bonny lass and she likes Fabio. And the Kalhoku she boot up in a wish. A wish. A wish. Oh, I wish she was here. That was a Feltnout production. To find out more, visit feltnout.co.uk.